0: Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown podcast has all of that and it's Chicago based. So you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. It's been more than a year since the first case of COVID-19 in Illinois, and the state has seen its share of ups and downs. In recent weeks, we've seen a decline in daily cases, but the death toll has continued to mount. This week, Illinois passed 19,000 deaths. Nationwide, we've seen well over 400,000 people lose their lives. Just heartbreaking news here and around the world.
1: Brazil. The country is still fighting soaring coronavirus infections. Doctors say they're running out of not just beds, but oxygen as well.
0: This as Great Britain issued a dire warning about the highly contagious UK variant. There is some evidence that the new variant may be associated
1: with a higher degree of Mortality. The South African variant of the virus that we knew Dr. Anthony Fauci has said he was concerned about has now been found in two people in South Carolina. Neither had traveled and they had no connection to one another. Part of the Biden administration's COVID response plan is focused on reopening schools with the goal of getting a majority of K-8 through schools safely open in his first
0: 100 days. This morning, as the death toll in the U.S. continues to soar well past 400,000, The sluggish vaccine rollout still plaguing the nation. But there is hope. New vaccines, a new presidential administration, and some signals that despite the new strains circulating in the U.S., we could start to get COVID-19 in check as long as the government and individuals, that's you and me, as long as we do our part. It's a stressful time and we know that you have questions. Here to answer them is Dr. Mia Taramina, infectious disease specialist with the DuPage Medical Group. Hi, Dr. Taramina. Welcome back. Hey, great to be back. So much has happened, doctor, since the last time that we spoke. New variants from South Africa and Brazil are now here in this country. Chicago does have nine known cases of the U.K. variant. Now that these new strains are here right in our backyard, what should we do? And what's the government doing?
1: you know, we're all all hands on deck and all eyes are open waiting for some guidance from the top to see if anything changes in our current recommendations, because these variants and, and knowledge of these variants are coming right at a, at a time where we're, you know, relaxing some guidelines and allowing people to eat indoors again, and the vaccine is rolling out. So uh, time will tell, but at this moment in time, you know, the recommendations stay the same, to still observe that six feet of social distancing, to still wear, a mask, um, you know, and we will see if anything changes in terms of needing to wear um, a stronger mask or needing to wear two masks. There's already uh, folks uh, advocating for that. We don't have any indication or guidelines changing from the CDC on that score, but it, it may. So we are definitely keeping our eyes open, especially as these variants enter our communities and start to spread locally.
0: The two masks thing,
1: do you recommend that? At this moment, for most people, I don't. I recommend that everyone wears a mask and that mask should have more than one layer to it. But intuitively, uh, as Dr. Anthony Fauci had said, the more layers, the more protection. The idea of my mask protects you, your mask protects me. When we start doubling masks up, it almost begins to create the level of protection we can achieve with a stronger mask, like an N95 or a KN95. So the idea of wearing two masks might might be uh, more to have more protection for yourself in what you may be exposed to, not only just in, in the ability to trap droplets as you may cough or sneeze.
0: Back on the variant, Doctor, the U.K. is now in a full shutdown. Aside, you know, putting the economy aside for a second, should we do that here in the U.S.?
1: Oh boy, that would be a that would be a tough one. I, I think I think the ship has sailed in our opportunity to really um, uh, get control of this by doing something of a national shutdown. I think that's something that could have been done in months and months ago. We we are in the place that we are now. I don't see how that would be feasible. Yes, in an ideal world, if everyone stayed in one place and everyone wore a mask and no one went outdoors and no one interacted with one another, we would see this dramatically decrease in about uh, 28 days' time. But I I don't see how that's going to be possible.
0: What do you think about the travel requirements that uh, changed this week? CDC is now requiring all travelers entering the U.S. uh, to present a negative COVID-19 test within three days of their departure.
1: Sure. It's not going to um, capture every single possible case. Someone can still test negative um, and then get on that plane and be very active and contagious. But the idea is, is to try and capture... A majority of those who are actively shedding virus prior to getting on a plane, which could potentially promote, um, you know, rapid spread, especially of some of these variants.
0: Do the vaccines that are, are currently on the market in the U.S. provide immunity from
1: these new variants? We're, we're looking into that as we speak. It, it appears at this time that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines uh, offer quite a bit of protection against the U.K. variant. So it may not be up to that 94, 95 percent, uh, but certainly it's it's a significant amount of efficacy that, that seems to be present for the U.K. variant. When it comes to the South African variant and the Brazil variant, those tests are ongoing, but they don't look to be as good. So we are moving towards um, you know, variants that could potentially overcome our vaccine, And these vaccine manufacturers at this moment are working on booster dosing, if necessary, to uh, roll out in order to cover some of the variants if they become uh, pervasive in our communities.
0: All right, let's jump to the phones now. Regina is waiting. She's calling from LaGrange Park. Hi, Regina.
1: My question is, I um, received my first dose of the vaccine about two weeks ago. Um, About 18 hours later, I had a pretty significant fever. It was about 103.5. It was really uncomfortable, obviously. And um, my question basically is, what are the chances that I will have this again in my second dose? That's a great question, Regina. Um, I think that you've developed a very robust immune response, and I think that the chances of you spiking a fever after the second dose are certainly there. Um, Most people do tend to have more uh, side effects that they can perceive more after the second dose versus after the first dose. So someone who has had a pretty significant immune response after the first dose uh, quite likely will have some uh, similar response after the second dose. Uh, This is not an anaphylactic reaction. It certainly is an uncomfortable reaction. I don't necessarily recommend pre-medicating, but have that Tylenol and ibuprofen on hand at the first sign that you may start to be feeling some of those symptoms coming on and to go ahead and hedge uh, the fever response over that 24-hour or 48-hour period. You might experience those side effects after the second dose.
0: So, doctor, if you get a fever after getting the vaccine, that's normal?
1: Uh, it's common. It's, most people have a more of a low-grade temp, but I certainly have heard uh, many examples of people having temperatures 101, 102, 103. Again, as the caller had stated, they're fairly short-lived. They're self-resolved, and they, they go away on their own, usually in that 24- to 48-hour ballpark. So, you know, that, that period of time could be quite miserable for some, uh, but it is treatable with Tylenol, ibuprofen, and a little rest and hydration. It is not an allergy, uh, and it should not uh, deter you from getting a second vaccine, uh, I do recommend that when that second dose comes around, make some plans to perhaps not have anything uh, significant that needs to be done the following day so you can take that time to rest and recover and allow your body to mount its immune response.
0: Let's take a call now from Dan. He's in Portage Park. Hi, Dan. Welcome to Reset.
1: Oh, hi. How's it going? Um, So I work for a food service company, which requires me to spend a considerable amount of time like in hospitals and long-term care facilities. And I'm just wondering, like, what are the chances of my picking up COVID if I spend an hour a day in, like, a hospital or a long term care facility? So uh, certainly if you are washing your hands, keeping a respectful social distance and wearing a mask the entire time, your chances are relatively slim. Most people in hospital settings are going to be uh, wearing masks around you as well. Um, obviously, if you're working directly with patients or in rooms with patients, they may be unmasked. So there is a measure of potential exposure there. You should be on a higher tier for vaccine. Uh, folks that are going in and out of healthcare settings could be um, a part of tier one or at the very least into tier two. So if you have any avenue to get a hold of vaccine, I would recommend getting yourself vaccinated as soon as you can. But otherwise, keep on with the strategies that you've been using thus far during the pandemic and stay as safe as possible.
0: Let's talk now with Jay from Uptown. Hi, Jay.
1: Hi, thanks for taking my call. I have been offered the vaccine through my workplace and I heard from a co-worker who's hesitant about it because they want to get pregnant in the future. They are not currently pregnant, and they were wondering if um, it's possible that the uh, vaccine might interfere with a future pregnancy. Is that at all a concern right now? Great question. That is a great question. At this point, all available data suggests that there should not be a concern with future fertility. If any uh, listeners are currently undergoing in vitro fertilization or um, assistive reproductive technology, they may want to speak with their providers about the timing of getting a vaccine. But for folks that are young and otherwise healthy and have an opportunity to uh, get vaccinated and have um, uh, fertility plans in the future and and plan to become pregnant in the future, uh, there should not be any concern. This stemmed from a thought process that some of the code in the messenger RNA is similar to codes on placental proteins. Um, in in short, in layman's terms, it's just too small of an overlap to create any meaningful difference, and it is not anticipated at all that this will impact future fertility.
0: Elizabeth has given us a call. She's in Willow Park. Hi, Elizabeth.
1: I was just wondering, um, I'll have my second dose of the vaccine next week. My husband will is going to be vaccinated soon, hopefully. Um, he works in a school. And then
0: I guess I'm just wondering, what's the safety if we were to go, let's say, to um, siblings'
1: houses who are totally vaccinated? If everybody in the home is vaccinated, what is the safety of us being together without masks? Elizabeth, that's a great question. Um, you know, if every single person has been fully vaccinated and is two weeks after their second dose of vaccine, out of an abundance of caution, the chances of carrying and spreading that virus meaningfully to another vaccinated individual are exceptionally slim. Certainly, if these are um, people that have other immunocompromising conditions or other things, I would be very mindful that they might not have developed as robust of immune response that's needed. Uh, they may be in that five or six percent that does not have antibodies, and you know, potentially, we know that a vaccinated individual can still carry the virus and asymptomatically shed it. So to the extent that everyone is young, healthy, um, and fully vaccinated and two weeks after vaccine um, at your discretion, I think it would be reasonable to consider uh, being able to be a little more relaxed on the mask wearing in in a small group of vaccinated individuals.
0: Doctor, taking a big picture look at vaccines, where are we right now regarding demand, supply, and capacity nationally as well as here in Illinois?
1: So that very, very good question. Uh, The demand is exceptionally high. Uh, It's no secret that we have way more people that want vaccine than there is vaccine available. And there's so much frustration when you look at the numbers and even the allocation in our state and why aren't these vaccines in arms and vaccines don't work when they're on the shelves. But it's a very careful issue because some of these uh, doses are being held for a second dose. So it may appear as though we have a million vaccines, but many of those are earmarked as a second dose for individuals that have already received a first dose. So that's part of the issue here. Um, I think capacity is actually fairly good. I think that there are significant uh, sites being set up and concepts being set up. And I think if vaccine is available, we can get it into arms, just get us the vaccine. So that's the hope is that in the weeks to come here, especially as we have frustration uh, from many, many individuals who fall into tier 1B that just cannot find vaccine anywhere, if we can simply get the vaccine. The infrastructure seems to be in place in Illinois and in many states uh, to go ahead and get those doses administered very rapidly.
0: Now let's jump to another phone call. We've got Chris on the line. He's in Westmont. Hey, Chris. First of all, thank you for taking my call. And I really appreciate this weekly segment. Uh, It's been very helpful. I'm in Group 1B, uh, signed up for DuPage County. Two questions. Who determines where I am on that list of thousands of people in that 1B who have signed up? And number two, is there a way that they can say your number 3,000 and then maybe two or three days later or five days later you're number 2,500? Just so that we know we're not lost in the system. Thank you for taking my call.
1: Thanks, Chris. Chris, that's a great question. And it's a question by so many folks that fall into tier 1B. I encourage you to get yourself on as many lists as possible. To my knowledge, there's not a concrete way of saying you are number whatever. I don't think the lists for the most part go in that way. There's a tiering system that happens with certain comorbidities and certain um, risk factors that you know we, we are trying to get into the vaccination of our sickest and oldest individuals as a part of tier 1B first. But there are also many professions that fall under tier 1b to the extent that you may have less comorbidities or are healthier Uh, certainly uh, I much appreciate your patience as we try to get through some of the sicker folks but to my knowledge at this moment in time there's no exact number but you should be able to verify that you indeed are in the queue and as supplies allow they will roll out um, potentially in the order in which your inquiries were placed Uh, so get on as many uh, places as you can
0: Well, Chris opens up an opportunity to transition to some questions I had for you, doctor, because a lot of terminology is is floating around during this pandemic, right? And so we wanted to spend some time in this second half of our interview to do a bit of a refresher. So could you start with vaccine phases? We're in phase 1B now in Illinois, Uh, but just remind us, phase 1A, 1B, 1C, what do they mean and who is eligible?
1: Sure. And that there's, that's where there's a lot of misinformation because a lot of people think they're in one of these uh, phases currently. And even if they are, they think that uh, they're going to be able to immediately access vaccine. And that's just not the case. So tier one A specifically is going to be focusing on our healthcare providers and those who live in nursing homes. So. Over time, healthcare providers—that definition has become broad. It has included people that work uh, in and out of hospitals, uh, patients, uh, or individuals that might even have some administrative roles that necessitate them being in the hospitals, in addition to doctors, nurses, uh, mid-level providers, etc. Um, and then those who live in nursing homes, or who are among the most vulnerable and have some of the poorer outcomes. As we have gotten into 1B, right as we are transitioning into 1B, also the Illinois Department of Health and Human Services has announced that Home caregivers, if you have a medically fragile family member with Down syndrome or epilepsy or who's on a ventilator, you also, if you're the primary caregiver, qualify as a health care provider. So that effectively puts you into Tier 1A. And even though we are in Tier 1B, all of those folks in Tier 1A can still be vaccinated as vaccine supplies allow. So we've got all of those individuals seeking vaccine. Tier 1B specifically then rolls down to ages 65 and up with uh, and those with significant health issues in that age group specifically so heart disease diabetes kidney disease uh, cancers things like that and then we have our post office workers our teachers our police our fire all other frontline workers that are falling into this uh this range as well moving into tier 1c that's when we're going to get into those between the ages of 16 and 64 with medical comorbidities. So again, this is millions of people are going to be in Tier 1C. In addition to that, we're going to get into other certain professions like uh, food service workers and uh, individuals that are um, uh, doing uh, transportation, uh, attorneys, you know, there's additional public service that fall into Tier 1C, media will fall into Tier 1C. So those are all individuals that can be vaccinated in that next next tier. But the tier we're currently in, 1B, is yeah. expected to go at least into April at this point. Um, okay. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully sooner. But it's going to take us eight to 12 weeks to really get all of tier 1B vaccinated. And then as soon as tier 1C hits, we're going to be opening up the floodgates again with jamming the systems. It's going to be a challenge unless we have more vaccine available.
0: And before I take another call, doctor, what comes after 1C? What's the vaccine rollout going to look <laughs> Everybody
1: like? Else. Everybody, Everybody else. Everybody <laughs> else. It's, it's a okay. free-for-all. Yep, it's, it's, t- it's going to be tier 2 after that, and that's going to be a healthy adults uh, and older teens at that point.
0: Well, sticking with vaccines, when, if ever, can kids under the age of 16 get vaccinated?
1: That's a great question. So Pfizer's trial from age 12 16 is fully enrolled. We're going to need um, two to 3,000 uh, enrollees in order to you know, get through the uh, necessary steps to get emergency use authorization in this group. Moderna's, as of my last check, is still a little short on enrollment. So if listeners have 12 to 16-year-olds at home, uh, please seek out opportunities for them to go ahead and, and be trialed as well. So um, uh, I would think that the exact same thing needs to happen. We've got a fully enrolled group in Pfizer's trial. They're going to have to get two doses And then we're going to have to have 60 days of data beyond that second dose. So we're looking at the very earliest into April or May before we can get any sort of indication in that age group.
0: Now, Catherine's on the line with us, and she's calling from Gurney. Hi, Catherine.
1: Hi. Thanks for taking my call. So my question is, I'm interested in
0: the vaccine and its relationship to individuals with autoimmune disorders like rheumatoid arthritis can they safely be vaccinated? Do they have additional risks from being vaccinated because they have an autoimmune disorder? And how likely is the vaccine to work in someone whose immune system is suppressed by the biologic medication?
1: Yeah, Catherine, that's a great question. Um, So essentially, anyone who has one of these conditions should be speaking with their provider and and have their provider uh, sort of weigh in. At present, all the available societies and all the available data uh, shows that, we should not deny these individuals vaccine. In fact, it appears as though uh, it is, you're far more likely to have a poor outcome getting coronavirus with an autoimmune condition than you would be having an issue with the vaccine. It does not appear that the vaccine would be harmful, although it has not specifically been studied in this population. There is some concern that individuals who are immunocompromised and receive the vaccine may not develop the antibodies as regularly as someone who's not immunocompromised, but time will tell on that score. At this moment in time, uh, I think that the vaccine is more than likely safe and uh, should be considered in anyone with an autoimmune condition after a conversation with their provider. All
0: right, let's jump back to the phones. Frank's been waiting. He's calling from Crete. Hi, Frank. Hi, good afternoon. So I'd like to know why they're not using the like pneumatic gun that they use to give the polio shots. It, it seemed like they did our whole school in a couple of hours back then. I, I wonder. I haven't heard any mention of that. A different way to administer the vaccine as opposed to the needle and syringe.
1: Hmm. It all comes down to the way these viruses behave and the way uh, we have to prepare the the vaccines for administration. A lot has come on from the years of polio, thankfully, and you know polio vaccines had uh, various modifications over time between live vaccines, killed vaccines, and the way they've been administered. At this time, it does not appear that we're going to be able to use a technology like that, but certainly that there is room for you know studies uh, for different modes of administering vaccine in the future. Um, the challenge right now is we do have two uh, vaccines on the market that require some pretty specific storage requirements, and that's part of the reason why we can't just bring a supply of it over to a school and vaccinate all the teachers. We need to be relatively close to the storage facilities, and it's going to take a bit to roll out. As we get into uh, Johnson & Johnson's vaccine, AstraZeneca's vaccine, if they are able to come to market, as well as other vaccines, hopefully we can get to a point where um, we can Bring these vaccines to the places that need them, as opposed to individuals having to go to the vaccine.
0: Almost out of time, but let's jump to Bill, who's calling from Norwich. Hi, Bill. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine is a game changer because it's only one shot.
1: I think that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine in a lot of ways is a game changer because not only is it only one shot, it lets us get into communities where transportation is an issue and we might not be able to get people to a second dose. It's a game changer in the sense that um, its it does not require the storage requirements of these messenger RNA vaccines. And for many, many people, this will be a very good vaccine for them to receive. We'll have to look at the safety and efficacy data when it comes out and when it gets emergency use authorization approval. And there's even potential roles for the Johnson & Johnson vaccine as a single dose to potentially be used as a booster to the messenger RNA vaccines in the future. So we'll have to see how all that pans out over time.
0: Oh, actually, let's fit in one more caller. Eliza's on the line from Old Town. Hi, Eliza. Hi, Eliza. Oh, hi, Eliza. Welcome to Reset. Okay. Um, So uh, my mother's in her late 70s and had a reaction to the pneumonia vaccine, just a little bit of swelling in her throat that um, Benadryl took care of Um, and on the fence about if she should get this vaccine. She's really nervous about an allergic reaction. She has an EpiPen ready if needed, um, but she's just nervous. And her doctors and her allergists
1: kind of don't give
0: her a real answer except do it if you want.
1: (laughs) that's unfortunate i was i was on the tip of my tongue saying make sure you speak with your allergist because uh, the allergists at dupage medical group are, are certainly working uh, towards a plan of potentially even vaccinating these folks eventually right in the allergist office and maybe in a phased vaccine approach where they just give a small amount of the vaccine and wait 20 or 30 minutes and then give an additional small amount of the vaccine to make sure that patients tolerate it uh, i would i would stand in agreement that if your mother wants this vaccine she should absolutely have her epi- Pen with her and preferably uh, get the vaccine at a location, if at all possible, where there is uh, easy access to um, uh, emergency services if needed. Uh, I will tell you that the Moderna trials just released um, an official update that the actual instance of anaphylaxis is around two to three cases per million. So it is incredibly rare. Certainly, she can talk to her allergist to see if there's any issue with allergy to the polyethylene glycol component, which has been kind of um, signal uh, singled out as a possible uh, cause of some of these adverse reactions. But the vast majority of people that have had some reactions to vaccines in the past have done very well.
0: That's Dr. Mia Terramina from the DuPage Medical Group. Dr. Terramina thanks so much for sharing your insights with us today and always. Thank you. For more Reset, head to our archives at wbez.org reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll meet again soon.